to another episode of the Drawn to Scale podcast. I'm Pablo Cortez. Uh, before I introduce my guest, I do have a uh, um, let our listeners know that this is going to be the last episode of the podcast for some time. We're going to be taking an extended break to sort of reevaluate how to continue with the podcast and um, possibly return in a different form. We're not sure what that form is going to be, but we will keep you guys updated. Um, so with that, let's uh, introduce our guest, uh, Eric Sargent. Uh, Eric is an urban designer, educator, and SketchUp pro. Eric combines his background in landscape architecture and urban design with his interest in visual communication to create stunning visuals using the SketchUp and V-Ray softwares. Eric, how are you? It's been a while. Good. Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me on this podcast. Um, I've been wanting to do one uh, myself. I've got so many ideas and so many things to talk about, but... I do want to say that it's a it's a little bit of a hurdle just to break the seal and do it. So congrats for you having you know made this at first step, uh, inspired there. So this is going to be fun. Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me on. No complaints. Um, I say go ahead and start your podcast, man. Just do it. I know. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, it's funny because we're landscape uh, architecture trained, and when's the best time to plant a tree? Uh, you know, 20 years ago, right? So when's the best time to do anything? Uh, well, you should have already done it. And if not, well, today, do it today. Well, let's let's start with let's start with the big question that uh, we've been seeing around going around lately: um, AI, artificial intelligence, and design. Um, how do you see maybe you're currently using it? Um, artificial intelligence protocols in landscape and urban design being being implemented and and used. Yeah, the million dollar question. Um, I'm, for, I'm, I'm a good person to ask because I, I live in technology world and it is my job to stay ahead of it and to stay on top of it and to utilize it. But I'm also a hard person to ask because I've switched from landscape to planning to urban design because I found that more than design, I'm interested in principle. And I think some of those things are so grounded in, in, in a lot of the stuff from the past that, we've al that we already know is the right thing to do. It's not to say that we should keep doing the same thing just to keep doing the same thing, but there's so many things that I think we disregard with new technology. We say, oh, this new technology solves all these problems, so let's just disregard everything we already know. I'm the kind of person that says, whoa, 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 I'm more than willing to play with a technology, adopt a technology, push and teach a technology, but at the same time, I also have to, like, I go through that scrutiny process and I do, I ask all these sort of important, I think, questions that we should all be asking ourselves, which is what is this really doing for this and how does this um, add value to my process and, and what is this also doing to our profession? I think these are all the questions that are going around right now. And so to get to the answer, there's like 20 different avenues to go. So I'll try and stay on one or two here because I think it can go in a lot of different directions. but. Firstly, I haven't started using it yet other than to play around with it. I think we're so new right now, it's a little bit of a novelty. Um, there's also, of course, you see a lot of articles, especially coming from our profession. Oh, you know, designers and architects are no longer gonna be needed pretty soon. You know, it's sort of a doomsday scenario. It's either, this is either gonna open up tons of doors or it's gonna be the end of our profession. And I think what we've found with any new technology is that it's actually neither of those. It's kind of both and neither at the same time. We found a lot of technology does is basically it's going to create new opportunities that we can't yet imagine. So right now we're in a position where we don't know what the impact is to AI. But what it is going to do is it's going to open up new, probably new revenue streams, probably new some processing techniques. It's going to open up probably some completely new products that we can't possibly fathom at this point. So. I would say that like everything, I'm skeptical, but at the same time, I'm open-minded. I think skeptical is a good place to be. 
Um, I haven't used it for anything other than generating some images just to teach myself how to sort of refine the prompt process. And um, I have more, but I'll pause there for a second if you want to respond to anything I said. And then I've got one more maybe thought to sort of continue down that line. I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, my, my whole thing has been sort of taking a look at how um, AutoCAD came into design, right? Where it's like everybody saw it as, oh, gonna, it's going to get rid of a bunch of jobs. You don't need any more hand drafting. And from what I've seen, the hand drafting is still there. It, it created more jobs because now you needed people to sort of uh, handle the, the, the AutoCAD protocols and, and the libraries and, and actually work on the software. So I see it more as that where it's just another tool that we'll be able to use and implement into the process of our design, right? Whether it's, you know, I don't know, from the initial design phase, I think it's probably good to use it as a um, diagrammatic sort of early on uh, imagery and then maybe possibly as the uh, AI evolves into creating these put your production drawings right where you can maybe be a little bit faster a little bit more um, accurate in creating your your production drawings well i think that's a good point first of all there's like uh it's funny that when something becomes automated it becomes more efficient and then what happens is, is instead of something automated means we're replaced it's automated means that our t some tasks are replaced so that's a perfect segue with the AutoCAD examples that like drafters haven't been i mean hand drafting maybe isn't the way we do it anymore. You don't just hire a hand drafter and they sit in a room and draft with T-squares and triangles all day long under big lamps. Um, so in a way, like that profession isn't a thing anymore. But so, is, you know, we saw what happened with the smartphone. And even before the smartphone, I remember my first digital camera in 2000. I got it in the year 2000, my senior year in high school. And I thought that was, you know, I was, again, early adopter, digital, taking digital photos when everybody else was still using film for like school dances and stuff. And um, but that was only, you know, what, 2007, 2008, 2009, whenever people started really adopting a proper, what I'm going to say, proper smartphone, which is the iPhone. The, now, all of a sudden, that digital camera industry, not only did it disrupt film, but it wasn't, it wasn't around for very long uh, until it got disrupted. Uh, but then look at what the iPhone has opened up, right? So the point is, is that when something goes away, actually, it could be and most likely is replaced by a bunch of stuff. So the point I'm trying to make is that the the way that we do right now, the way the AI is, is that it's really, it's predictive text, right? So it's prompt to outcome in a way that's almost like a, an assistant. And I was thinking about this because you gave me this question in advance. I was thinking about this this morning. And it's like, how would I, let me know if I'm jumping the gun, but how might I use this? Like, how might this, uh, how might I see actually, if it gets there, if it gets to where I think it's going, how might this actually help us and in a way that's not something to be afraid of, but something to embrace. And I was never really great at planting design for landscape architecture, to be honest with you. And the reason why, it's not because I didn't like it. I love plants, uh, especially native ones. I love the ones that I know. I love learning more about new ones, but there's just too many plants to learn for me. My brain just feels like it can only absorb so much or only want to absorb so much. And the other thing is, if you think about it, go through the Sunset Western Garden book, right? Each plant in there has about 10 parameters associated with it. So not only are you learning that plant, but you've got genus species, you've got, um, so you've got the Latin and then their common name. You have uh, their climate zone. You have, uh, even within the climate zone, they have water needs, sunshade needs, probably soil um, conditions or soil recommendations. Um, I mean, there's hardiness, there's growth, there's spread. So you, you get it. But the point is, is that that's way too much information for me to obtain. So if I had something like an AI plant assistant, 
if I gave them my plan and I said, and I shared a photo of something that, I don't know, let's just say a tropical resort, but I said, I want a tropical look, but it's in Southern California, but it's not just Southern California, it's coastal, right? So what could I do? And it spits back and it comes back and it says, here you go. You know, these are all the ones that meet your strict water conditions, but it, they, you know, so it comes through this vast database in a way that I couldn't possibly do. So something like that could be incredibly useful if somebody wanted to generate an AI planting assistant tool, in which case I'd be happy to use. I don't know, what are your thoughts <laughs> on that? I think, that, I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's, a, I think that's a good way to look at it too, because I, I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, more on the production side of things where, especially with the irrigation drawings and some of the construction stuff, uh, layout and, and uh, hardscape layout and, and callouts. Um, I brought this up with the, when we had uh, Jeremiah Farmer with Land Effects where all, all I would like to do is hit a button and the irrigation is done, right? Like that, that'd be awesome. Um, don't know how far away that is, but that's sort of my my view is where it is that. It's that assistant that is just helping to, um, it it complements your design and the, the, the software you're using now. That's the way I see it. And I think the assistant, the assistant way to look at it is probably the same way, right? Where like, yes, it, it's the database. I just got to ask it what I need. And it spits out this, this information that is readily available, saving a lot of time in research, a lot of time in uh, look, combing through information, right? Eric, uh, let's, let's jump ahead a little bit. And uh, can you share your, your path from landscape architecture student? We, you and I both went through the program at Cal Poly Pomona together. Um, and then you went on to uh, educating SketchUp users through the SketchUp YouTube channel. Yeah, okay. I'll try and give you the shortest version I can here because I could spend the whole podcast going through that journey because it's a bit of a roundabout one, but it isn't all of ours. Um, the, the thing... Yeah, so starting with sort of what brought me into it, I think is what brought a lot of people into landscape architecture is growing up in Southern California, um, we got, got to go to Disneyland, as you know, I think you're in that area. The Disneyland is one of those funny places that like in a way it's so corporate and controlled, like it's almost like the opposite of what we should be using as inspiration. But I think that as a test case scenario, meaning that like this is a controlled environment, means that everything within that is designed, shaped manipulated. I mean, even the plants, if a plant gets too big, they'll go in overnight and they'll swap a tree out. I mean, those little things, like I remember I have a book called Designing Disney and John Hench uh, was talking with some the maintenance people and they were saying people were cutting paths through um, with Walt Disney. They were cutting paths through the landscape and they said, well, we could um, we could put a fence around it. And then Walt Disney said, you know, actually what you need to do is put a, a path here instead because that's where people want to go. And that's that's something we can't do that sort of real time you know, analysis and changes. So, so something about Disneyland, I think, um, was embedded in my head of like, okay, th these kinds of creating these, I don't want to say fantasy, but creating these environments from scratch, these really immersive environments is really exciting. It's not in a video game. It's not a, it's not a Broadway set, you know, in a way that's going to be taken down after the show. I mean, it's a real place that people that hopefully everyone can come and interact with. Um, so that, so, so that got me to Cal Poly. That's just the background. And then, the reason why I say that is because it plants a little bit of the seed as to where I went from there. And then I realized that landscape architecture, as you just mentioned, as we just mentioned, both planting and irrigation, and uh, worked in Oregon for several years doing exactly that. You know, low man on the totem pole, especially with the recession in 2008, graduating right then. It's not the best time. It meant that you stayed the low man on the totem pole for quite a while. 
So doing construction documents I found was something, speaking of AI, if you could automate that, was I found was not creative enough for me. Like a lot of the decisions in the creative process were done early in the process, they were done by the principals, and then the rest of the process is production. And so in a way I learned a lot about production, the importance of production and the streamlining your process, but at the same time I realized that creativity should be something that's part of the entire process, not just a little thing that happens at the beginning and then you go into this more technical process. So, so, so I kind of moved around a lot because of that. I'm always seeking, like, how can you keep creativity in the process the entire time? So I went from landscape architecture to planning, resort and hospitality master planning, and that was cool. But then that was sort of the opposite scale. Went from going doing parking lots all the way to doing these huge cities, and you're just talking about zoning at that point. It's almost like an abstraction. Oh, this is the R2, this is the central business core zone, and then these are R2, and then this is a collector. And it's like, wait a minute, we're not actually designing anything here. It's just, it's planning. And so then that got me back to urban design. Uh, through urban design, uh, I was doing that for quite a while, and I want to just answer your question, so I'm just going to skip a lot of that and just say that uh, another classmate of ours, Chris Tiffer Fulmer, who you may know uh, as, if you'd use SketchUp, you're probably familiar with his extensions. He left, he started writing extensions to automate a lot of these really time-consuming things that we do in landscape architecture, especially around 3D modeling. And that's where he got a job with SketchUp, and then he reached out to me while I was doing urban design and said, Eric, we've got a job for an, what's called the online training content producer, basically someone that takes all this industry knowledge and all of these processes and all of these techniques and workflows and basically turns them into training content. So, so between my, my experience at Cal Poly as a student, my experience at Cal Poly as a professor, my experience as an urban designer, I felt like I was well-suited um, to sort of, you know, turn that into something. Turn that into something, um, something, I don't know, something different than just showing up and just lecturing in front of the class. So that's kind of how I got to doing this for SketchUp. What do you see as the ideal workflow for SketchUp, like 3D modeling in landscape design? Um, you know, here in the office with CTO uh, projects, we mainly use it as presentation purposes towards the end of a project when it's pretty much done and designed out. Um, we don't necessarily use it as a part of the design process. Um, what, what do you, how do you use it as, uh, as in your workflow? Yeah, great question. I use it every chance I get. So meaning that I'll use it in the beginning, the middle, the end, I'll use it any way I can um, from site analysis. And again, I'm not, I want to say right now, I'm not trying to promote it because I, I work for for SketchUp, what I'm trying to do is just yeah, say we're not, that we're not, I, uh, we're not, we're not sponsored. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's nothing. I don't gain any. I don't get any kickbacks or anything by going and selling it. All I'm saying is I work for it because I use it, right? So when I when I speak highly of it, it's because it's got me to where I am. So, so I found that the more I use it, um, not only do the better I get at it, like you would think with most tools, the more you just live in that world, the more you just find more uses for it. So it's kind of great, actually, because it's such a multi-purpose tool. Um, going from site analysis on the front end, maybe just even bringing in some terrain, whether that, uh, and then cutting some contours, doing a slope analysis, quick, maybe massing up a building using just sugar cubes and doing a sunshade study. Like that front end stuff is very, very uh, important. I, I've switched almost entirely to 3D for my diagramming. So all my context maps, I'll bring in open source information, so building footprints. Most of those have heights associated with them now, like the data sets keep getting richer and richer. I get bring in the roads, I bring in 
because at the urban design scale, it's like, to me, the more context you can bring into your site and to tell your story and talk about your design and make design decisions, the better. So for me, um, I'll start by almost collecting as much information as I can and bring that in. And that 3D is, is the place where all that stuff goes. And then whether I want to cut a cross section, or I want to do a sun shade study, whether I want to print it, oftentimes, most, a, lot of, a lot of times I'll just take it, pick a camera view, send it to the Cintiq or the iPad, and then just use it to draw over the top of. And that's an early, early concept stuff where you're just starting to get a sense of like, oh, how big is this? And what could this be? And how tall? If I was stuck drawing in plan view, I, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't keep doing what I'm doing because it just feels so limiting. I have to do it in 3D. The ideal workflow, you said, you said the ideal workflow though. Yeah, that's me. The ideal workflow is you, you start with it is once you know, I mean, uh, is it, yeah, it's not a, uh, I used to think about kind of what you said, which is that it's used for rendering. So it kind of comes in, if the budget allows for 3D, you go to 3D and then use it for like this kind of final presentation tool. And I've just kind of really flipped that on its head. I start almost immediately in 3D. And then from there, I decide in one of maybe 60 different directions, it goes being 3D being like the hub and spoke, and it sits at the center of um, pretty much everything that I do. You've been working with SketchUp for some time now. What do you consider the most impressive change or improvements to SketchUp since, uh, you know, basically it's initial release? That's funny because the we just launched uh, 2023 and it didn't have a ton of new features. So I, I won't comment on that, but I know that the some people are, in my head where they're like why aren't you pushing the software more forward right as a competitor against a lot of arguments we hear it's like why can't it do what revit does why can't it do what rhino does it's like because it's not rhino or revit um it's almost the it's it's a funny way to answer the question it's sort of like it's was so easy and intuitive to use in a way it's like they haven't bloated it so it's like almost by not adding too many new things they've kept its essence the sort of simplicity and intuitiveness of it, the sort of fun, I use the word joy when I use it, the joy that I get when I use it is still there. Um, even though um, after, this is the third owner now, because at last developed it, Google bought it. For those that don't know, Google bought it. They only had it for a few years because they wanted it to use it as a, a way to build Google Earth before they switched to LiDAR for people building buildings. And that's why it was kind of weird. Like, why did Google want to 3D model it? because they were building the world in 3D until they decided to scan the world instead. So then they sold it to Trimble. And Trimble is a basically a, a navigation, started as a navigation uh, GPS company that now does all kinds of um, technological stuff for agriculture and aerospace and transportation and things like that. So, so um, yeah, I think the answer to that is, is they haven't really done anything bad to it. It's stayed sort of true to itself. Yeah, I had stayed away from SketchUp for uh, for a while, especially when I was working with other authors because they just didn't use it really for the most part, right? Then I remember hopping back on after some time, and it was available through a browser, right? There was no more downloading a program. You can just hop on and, and into your browser, Internet Explorer or uh, Chrome, whatever you're using, and, and start using it right away. So I think that simplicity is a big it's a big plus, uh, especially as, as uh, uh, access to people. Yeah, one one thing that I've gotten into more lately, which is since if you think about SketchUp over the course of from starting it in 2006 when we were in school when it was still owned by Atlas and nobody even knew what it was, and nobody even knew how it impacted our workflow all the way till now, which is 2023. It's a long time. Uh, one thing I've been doing a lot more is the photorealistic rendering, um, which I use the V-Ray, as you mentioned in the intro, I use the V-Ray extension. 
There's a lot of options. I know everyone feels really passionate. Some people are like real-time renders. Game engines are the way to go because it's faster. You know, your output is you just click a couple buttons and you've got an okay, you do, you get an okay render. Um, for me, I actually love the experimentation, customization. I actually thrive in the weeds, which is, um, which is where I can control things. And I think that's what the V-Ray does. So for me, coming in and not only learning the complexity of, of a 3D, of a rendering program, an extension, because it's not a separate program, it's actually inside of SketchUp, which is what I like. It's not leaving the SketchUp environment. So as I'm modeling, I'm also like thinking about rendering or I'm building some test renders or I'm, or I'm putting in just the amount of information that I need rendered as part of the communication process. So for me, the thing that has changed in SketchUp's evolution is just how much better and seamless and tighter I think the integration between the modeling and the photorealistic visualization has gotten in them just in the last few years. Can you talk about some of your favorite modeling projects? Well, I worked on, uh, this one's a tough one though, because we, we Cal Poly Pomona actually, I don't know if you know this, but a little, little history. They, there's a, a site, a big property, it's uh, 300 acres. It's just a mile down from the road of campus. It's called the Lanterman Development Center. It was for adults essentially with disabilities. It was what we would, um, but we never knew it was there. We went to school. Did you know about that while you were in school, the Lanterman campus? I didn't know, this is the first time I'm hearing about that. Yeah. Didn't know this. So, uh, so uh, several years ago, the state of California basically closed. I mean, it was at a point where there were more doctors than there were patients. And so they decided to consolidate facilities and they had this land and they said, well, what should we do with it? Well, let's give a 300 acre property just a mile from campus. Let's give it to Cal Poly Pomona and see what they want to do with it. So they issued an RFP for a master developer. So not necessarily a designer like, like my team or something I would do, but a master developer that looks at sort of figuring out whether it's a P3 and how to fund it and how to structure it and how to phase it and basically be their sort of partner uh, uh, to help them sort of bring the vision to, to life. And, and we submitted a, uh, we, the team that I was working with at the time, IDI group, submitted a partnership and a proposal for that with Five Point. If you know Five Point, they're the ones in, um, they did the Five Point Amphitheater Arena in, I think, the Great Park neighborhoods over in Irvine. So if anyone drives by or has seen a concert in the Five Point Amphitheater, you'll, you'll know who they are. So that was the, uh, so we got to, we won that one, which is really exciting because in a way I was teaching at Cal Poly. I had graduated from Cal Poly and I was working on a master plan for Cal Poly all at the same time. And I think that was a really, really exciting project. Of course, SketchUp, like everything I do, played a central part in that. And at the end of the day, we, uh, we didn't go to photorealistic because it was a master planning. So we ended up doing a, a before and after. And I mean that before because there were some really significant historical buildings on the campus. So we were able to think about which ones made the most sense to structurally keep so that the feeling of a campus and the feeling of this historical hospital and stuff is still there and intact and, and enhanced. But then of course we, you know, not everything can go in order for it to, not everything can be saved, I mean. So, so there was a lot of new construction and new neighborhoods also happening. So we did this sort of before sketch that showed the preservation of the buildings, and it was an aerial that was just hand drawn over a SketchUp model, and then it was a, um, and then it showed all of the new buildings and new stuff and the new districts and the new open spaces coming in on top of that, and that was an exciting project because, um, yeah, just for multiple reasons beyond just the use of three D, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of oh, I've got so many I've got so many fun ones. I don't know how many of them I can talk about though. They don't make me sign NDAs, but I still like in my head, I think, did they, is this public knowledge, you know? I was gonna say, do you have a, is there like a, a type of project or a project that you 
uh, those maybe your least favorite to work on? The, the, my least ones, favorite ones are always the ones where I ask why I'm involved. Because if somebody's, there's, uh, I worked on the LA Civic Center Master Plan, which was basically for downtown LA. Um, basically, there's, they own some land across the, the street from City Hall. And it's kind of a fragmented parcel. And they also look, they also own some buildings. Speaking of which, one of our classmates works for City of LA in the landscape department from Cal Poly. So we, we, we get around. The, uh, they had some buildings that were also spread out throughout downtown LA. So the concept of the master plan was to bring was to sort of bring some of those sort of, um, I want to call satellite buildings closer to their hub and have some new facilities and some new open spaces again. And, but that plan, unfortunately for me, I think of a plan as visual. I think of the word actually as a plan, but a lot of plans, if you read them like a strategic plan, actually not very visual at all. They're almost entirely written. It's like there's written in word. And then somebody goes through and says, oh, could we get a photograph for this part? And can we get a drawing for this part? And I work the exact opposite. I almost, I almost draw everything. And then I go back and write some supportive text just to describe you know, what they're seeing in the image. And that was a really frustrating process because in a way I was trying to lead this, lead this, but I found that I was leading it from the wrong way, meaning that it really just needed to be sit and written by somebody who thinks like that and likes writing and is good at writing and has been to all the meetings. So that was a little bit of a struggle when I found myself in this role of having to write a plan instead of draw one, which is not my strength. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I can imagine. Um, it's that bureaucratic process, right, that you got to deal with. Um, cool, Eric. Well, thanks very much for, for coming on to the podcast, especially for this uh, final-ish episode. Um, where can people see and learn more about your work? Yeah, well, I'm in all the channels. I've got a website that I just keep. Um, it's just a portfolio site. So it's some of my drawings and renderings that I do, hand and digital. It's uh, sergeantillustration.com. Sergeant spelled S-A-R-G-E-A-N-T. Um, you can get in touch with me there through my contact page, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I do like LinkedIn as much as I'm not a social media person, uh, so you won't find me on Instagram or anything like that. But LinkedIn is kind of nice because, again, I actually got my job through LinkedIn. Uh, Chris Fulmer, when he asked me to come to SketchUp, he actually reached out to me through LinkedIn. So a little plug for LinkedIn. Uh, it actually does, you, you know, might actually come in handy once in a while. And then uh, you can find me on a SketchUp YouTube channel. And every Friday, I'm not the live modeler, but if anybody wants to see my thought process and see some really complex projects being modeled in 3D in real time, I try to I try to represent the landscape and the urban design and planning industry, where I know sometimes we're underrepresented in 3D. I know that's changed in the recent years, but I still always try to be sort of the voice and the hand for our industry. Um, so you can see me live model at a 11 o'clock Pacific time. It's noon mountain time every Friday, either myself or two other SketchUp staff members will live model for two hours. Some pretty cool stuff there. You can also find my learning courses for free. Um, this content that I create, the self-paced learning content for visualization and for 3D modeling is on the what's called SketchUp Campus. And the, the URL for that is learn.sketchup.com. So you won't see me necessarily, but you'll hear me and you'll get some of my tips and tricks. So I think between those four avenues, that ought to be enough. Well, thanks again for taking the time, um, Eric. We will uh, we'll talk soon. We'll keep in touch. All right. Thanks, Pablo, for inviting me on and uh, best of luck to wherever you go, uh, whether the podcast comes back or not. And feel free to pick my brain if there's anything I can do to help sort of keep that creative energy and uh, inspiration going. Appreciate that, man. Thank you very much. Cheers, man.